welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So, uh, you may have recently seen the dramatic uh, footage of the closing stages of a uh, four by 400 meter mixed relay race at the World Athletics Championships a couple of weeks ago. I did unapologetically say before that if you're in this church, you'll hear some sporting analogies. And here's another one. Um, and so if you didn't see that, here, have a, have a look at this. Budapest, Hungary, after being chased down by the USA's Alexis Holmes on the final leg. The 400-meter record holder seemingly tripped and fell. Okay, so, so I hope you just caught that. That's just right at the end. So that woman that just fell over, her name is Femke Boll. She's Dutch. She was leading the final leg. And as you saw, she stumbled just before the line. One uh, uh, clip that I saw had the um, the commentator saying, oh, and they've fallen, but she gets over the line for the bronze. But she didn't get the bronze. The whole team was disqualified because she dropped the baton. So you can get up and cross the line in first place, but if you're not holding the baton, you get nothing. And they got nothing. And so that was pretty devastating. Um, but a week later... This is the 4 by 400 women's only relay, and she was also driving to close down She's on Nicole She's in third Yudin. place. She's going to move into the silver. Is she going to take it on the line? Oh, yes! Oh, yes! Can you believe it? Live sport cannot be beaten for drama. Femke Ball has stolen, stolen the last gold for the Netherlands. That underlines why this is the greatest world champion. Right on the line. And she was even further back, if you saw from the top of the start, uh, the top of the uh, the final 100 metres, she was uh, 20, 30 metres back. Um, and then there's one more photo that shows the comparison between the two. Um, that's the top one, the tragedy, and then the triumph. Isn't that awesome? What a, what a great contrast. Now, why am I showing you this? Well, as I said, it's sport, and uh, I just thought it was just a classic example of the, the highs and lows, the drama uh, that sport brings, and that you should be educated with that. Um, secondly, it's a great example of the importance of leaving the past behind not letting it weigh on you and affect your future because disappointments and failure from the past can sometimes weigh so heavily it affects people in the future. But she had to really shrug that off and that's a great life lesson that you see played out there because, uh, you know, that she just had to totally forget that. Um, and it relates also to the series that we're starting today on the Ten Commandments because athletes like Femke Boll, are devoted and disciplined in their sport. They go through strict training to be able to fulfil all the potential they've got. A lot of people have got a lot of potential, whether it's sports or some other field, but they don't ever get to really see it all play out because they don't apply themselves with some training, with some serious preparation, with some discipline, including the emotional and mental discipline, like I said, of getting over that 
terrible disappointment and, and rising up. And this relates directly to the Christian life. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, don't you realise that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. Now you may know that the, um, Olympic, the ancient Olympic Games that started in like 700 BC were still popular in Roman times. They waned later, but they were still, the Romans, you know, took over the Greek civilization and adopted most of their culture uh, and, uh, and including the, the famous great games. And so Paul's thinking of the games and so are his readers when he writes this. People compete, but one gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing, beating the air, not hitting anything. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, right? We're set, in, we're set on, a, on a pathway to heaven purely because of the grace of God, the sacrifice of Jesus, his love proven, shown, demonstrated to us on the cross. But we also need to apply personal responsibility and discipline to stay on that pathway that God allows us to get on. So you don't earn your salvation, but you can lose it by your decisions or lack of discipline. And so God's given us a clear indication of how we can stay on that pathway. The Bible gives us principles for living and, and we should follow them. And in fact, it goes further than just having guidelines or principles. There are also commandments. Yeah. And so, of course, it's up to each of us whether we'll follow them. Um, but God loves us. He loves you and knows what's best for you. So it's in our best interest to obey him. Yeah. yeah. And if you've been following Jesus long enough, you'll know that this is how it works. That if you do as God says, it's going to work out. And we, I preached last week about the perfect father. And parents know that sometimes kids in a good family will be told what to do and required to obey something that they don't feel is right. It's not as pleasant to do what the parents tell them they just want to eat the whole kilo packet of sugar or go running wild or you know stay out after dark and they're four years old or you know so there are there are rules and and commandments that we get our kids to obey and it's for their own good and so you know as I said last week in this day and age the whole concept of doing as you're told or commandments to follow can make people a bit tetchy I'm a free spirit no one's telling me what to do it's my truth and all this stuff but we do well to just trust God and go right commandments yes Lord what are they I'll follow them and so it's good for us to obey a commandment from God and I I, I think that's that's something you got to settle in your heart and, and 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 lean into that and there's of course one specific collection of commandments that are particularly well known that we're going to unpack over the next couple of months. And we're going to see how they relate to our lives today and what it looks like to follow them. And of course, they are the Ten Commandments. As given by God to Moses for God's people on the top of Mount Sinai 
many years ago, three months after the whole nation of Israel escaped from Egypt. And that's why you read about it in the book of Exodus, because they were on their exodus, their exit from Egypt. And so here they are, Exodus 20, uh, verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Here's number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And we sang that this morning, that Yahweh song. Then he goes on, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's Number two, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Three, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Number five. So that was number four. Number five is honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And then the next one, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie or give false testimony against your neighbour. And you shall not covet your neighbor's, wife, your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, we're not going to look at all of them today. We're going to come back to the first one. In fact, there's a whole bunch more commandments in the Old Testament. There's over 600. And the question rises, well, okay, how do they relate to us? Because we're not Jews. And that's back in the Old Testament under the Mosaic law. And we're Gentiles. We're living thousands of years later. We're in the New Testament era. We're saved by grace. So aren't all these rules and regs kind of just for the Israelites? Didn't Jesus say that he came to fulfill the law? Maybe, you know, this doesn't apply. What about all those other laws and and commandments, like the sacrificing of the animals and all the fancy furniture for the temple. What about the clothes for the priests? Actually, I'm going away for a few weeks. I might just redo my wardrobe. They had a pretty flash outfit. So, but, you know, we, we don't follow all that. So what's the deal? Well, the New Testament actually does affirm the continuation of the law because Jesus said in Matthew 5.18... Until heaven and earth disappears, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And Paul writes to the Romans at one point, he says, I love God's law with all my heart. So what's the deal? Are these relevant to Christians today or do they no longer apply to us? Well, of course, the answer is found when you carefully examine how the word law is used in the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So some laws that were given in the Old Testament were ceremonial and they related to all the, the regulations and the routine required to worship God under that old covenant. 
So this is the the tabernacle and the temple and the way it was all set up and the furnishings, the, the priests who could be one and, and, uh, and how they had to approach God on behalf of the people and the clothes they wore. And of course, all the sacrifices, all the specifics of the sacrifices and the festivals, they all had to be followed a certain way. Well, all that has been fulfilled in Christ. One perfect sacrifice. And you read the book of Hebrews written to the Hebrews uh, the Jewish people and how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament, how Jesus has become one great priest in the order of Melchizedek, fulfilling all the need for sacrifices, all those sacrifices, one perfect sacrifice. And so now we can approach God boldly approaching the throne of grace. Hebrews four eighteen says, uh, and, and through Jesus, yeah, not via sacrifices or ceremonies. So there's ceremonial laws in the Old Testament and then there's civil laws or as theologians call them theocratic laws because in the time of Moses the Jewish nation was a theocracy. Right? That was their form of government, just God, theo meaning God, God leading the people directly with Moses as his spokesman. Uh, and so all the laws of the land were outlined to them by God and and in fact many of the principles for most modern civilized forms of government today can be traced back to a lot of what God gave Moses for those people you know and uh, and some western societies are dismantling them and wondering why things are going mental you know because they all want to be secular and they're walking away from you know Judeo-Christian ethics and Bible-based laws of government and all that's created their civilization, they're tearing down in the name of progress and it's regress. Uh, so there's all the civil laws, governmental laws, and then there are moral laws and that's where the Ten Commandments come in. And these are still applicable today. And in fact, you don't even have to go back to Jewish times and Jewish culture to make the comparison and see how we relate to these three kinds of laws. Because you can just get on a plane and go to another country and you'll see different ceremonial laws, different civil laws, and yet you'll see how we share very similar moral and ethical codes of conduct and outlook on life. For example, uh, you know, in Thailand, there's a lot of ceremony around respect for the monarchy. And um, if you go to the movies, you will stand to attention for the national anthem before every film at the cinema. Uh, and it's not just at the cinema. When I was a young uh, teacher in Bangkok in my early 20s, um, I discovered this walking to the bus stop, going past a school and suddenly realising that everyone I could see, it's a busy street, community on the outskirts of the city at the time, but a lot of people, I realised everyone's standing still. What's going on? It looked like something out of a science fiction film. I'm thinking, what's this is creepy. And then I could hear. And there's a school over here and they're playing at 8am and 6pm the national anthem. And you stop and you stand to attention. If you can hear it, you stand to attention. And God forbid you keep walking for your bus. And yes, I missed my bus more than once, and so did others. Because you'd see the bus coming and be like, I'm going, oh no. 
and you'd see the bus coming. And it finished. Too late. And I would see that at 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. It was hilarious. Um, And uh, and so we, we, we don't have that. Probably good if we did. Uh, you know, they've got great respect for authority. Um, and of course, civil laws are very different, even amongst countries that purport to be quite civilised and modern, like Singapore, where chewing gum is illegal and people are routinely executed for minor drug offences, like the middle-aged woman just last month, hanged for holding 30 grams of an illicit narcotic. Yeah. So I don't try to get too political, but I think that's a bit of a shocker. So if you're from the Singaporean government, God bless you. Let's have a coffee, straighten you out. Um, So, you know, ceremonial and civil laws vary widely. But you go to either of those two countries and you start stealing and lying and cheating and killing people, I think they'll probably agree that's not on. And so we agree on moral laws. And so the Ten Commandments do apply to us today. Even though not every commandment in the Old Testament does. They're still relevant. They're still important. In fact, they're so important, God gave them twice. (laughs) You may know that, um, you know, when Moses got the Ten Commandments, he got these stone tablets, he came down from the mountain. I mean, you'd like to think, I wouldn't do this. How shocking, how ridiculous that God's people, while Moses was away, talk about when the cat's away, the mice will play. You know, Moses goes up the mountain and they're like bored and stupid, and they melt down gold and make a fake God and start worshipping it. And Moses comes down. He's like, seriously? We've been like three months out of... So he, in a fit of rage, you know, throws the tablets down and they break. But God wanted them to get a hold of these commandments so much that he gave them again. And you read that in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He gives Moses a new set of stone tablets, this time with a little post-it note on it, said, Mo. I know there are a bunch of bullfeds, but please, can you just just don't throw them down on the ground? Okay, that I admit that isn't in the earliest manuscripts, but um, I, I believe there would have been some kind of little tap on the shoulder, you know. All right, so to the first of the Ten Commandments, if you look in verse 3 in Exodus 20, God says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. This one underpins all the others. Because it starts with a focus on God, which makes sense because he's the one who came up with the Ten Commandments. I think J. John writes about this. He says, yeah, you could have Ten Commandments and you could call them the Ten Commandments of Common Sense. You know, without God. You could say, oh, they all make sense. But, But these commandments have God's character stamped all over them. And they only really make sense when you see that God is behind each one. In other words, lying's bad because God is truth. Right? And, and, and murder is wrong because it's God that gives life that shouldn't be taken away. And so the list begins with considering who God is and who he should be in our life. And, and of course, he should be number one. That's what it's saying. We are to ensure that there's no one or no thing before God in our heart, with our pursuits and passions in life and our thoughts which is easily said I'm sure all Christians would say oh of course God is my number one priority he's I have nothing else that I would make a God before him in life 
And yet we're constantly tempted to replace God with alternatives, to actually have things that become number one. So, for example, one person might say, oh, yes, God is number one. Uh, And yet nothing gets in the way of their program, their nicely organized schedule for their life and their family, including God. They might not agree to that or admit it or be conscious of that, but subconsciously. So they might... They might never allow any disruptions that stretch them out of their comfort zone or cause them to make a sacrifice so that they end up pushing things out of their life that should be there, like, like people in need who, who cause interruptions that that was, a, that was a God thing. Linda could easily have said to the woman with the sore back, cleaning, all right, hurry up, out she go, out she go. But, but she makes time and then the woman says, wow, do that back thing again, the Christian chiropractor or whatever, you know, and she takes the time to pray for the woman. And so, uh, you know, using our gifts to serve God, that's not always convenient. You know, we've all got our own time and it can be, we can be a bit precious about that. And of course, at its worst, people can miss God's call to ministry, even, even to a, a, a mission field because they were that were too comfortable and precious about their life and their priorities. Uh, another one might be a regular churchy, uh, but all their thoughts are consumed by that hobby or that sport or that passion they have for a pastime. So their, their heart is actually not given to God so much as given to this thing that they love to do. Someone else loves God, but they're terrified about losing their friends. So they compromise their obedience to God. So they fit in with the friends and the group. So they end up, you know, partying and drinking too much because if they really thought about it, their friends are God. You know, they, they, they wouldn't admit it, but, but they're putting the friends before God. And then another Christian might say, oh, you know, I love God and all that, but they, but they consider their money and all their stuff is theirs. They've got the golem spirit on them. It's mine. Mind, mind, precious, and you know, and and and, they, and so they end up being stingy givers to God's work when He's wanting, calling them to be generous, and so lots of examples like that. So it's good for us to do some soul searching and consider, okay, Lord, is there anything or anyone that I am really putting before You, and 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 something that or someone that I make a sacrifice to? Because if it's number one, you'll sacrifice other stuff in order to achieve that or bless that person or be with that person and of course if it's the Lord there will be other things that will fall into second third fourth place and prioritize him and sacrifice other stuff and so and so what does that look like to to really make God number one well John Calvin can help because John Calvin wrote a famous book called the institutes of the Christian religion and he in one section of that wrote that if you're obedient to the first commandment it will mean that you owe God four things. Would you like to know what they are? Adoration, trust, supplication, and thanksgiving. Let's look at each one of those. The first one, he says, if God's number one, adoration, in other words, how you render worship to God. So the question we could ask ourselves here is, who do I praise and adore in life? Because You know, there's a lot of people around us and we should love them and we can celebrate them and honour them and we can give them gifts, but we shouldn't worship them. Yeah? We don't we don't find them so amazing, so wonderful that we 
we think of them as worthy of our devotion, or at least we shouldn't, but actually that can happen sometimes when, you know, with uh, pop stars, movie stars, uh, I think some of them have terrible lives because they're being idolised and their life is suffering under the weight of becoming like gods and we're not built for that, you know, attention and idol worship. And so some people can actually kind of have this worship sense of, oh, you know, I just love them so much. And I mean, it's nothing wrong with going to a concert to, you know, Taylor Swift or whoever's the latest cool pop star or, you know, meeting Keanu Reeves or some cool guy, you know. But but people, you know, what they, they, they just get a little bit too excited. Um, so again, we do well to consider, okay, God, uh, you know, are you the only one that is worthy of my worship? It, you know, it's really only him who we should marvel at and say, wow, you God, you are marvellous. You truly are amazing, awesome, you're wonderful. Lord Jesus, Flip, you created the whole world, the whole universe, and yet you came and died for me on the cross because you love me. I mean, Keanu Reeves is a cool dude, but he can't do that. I'm sure Taylor Swift sings some nice songs, but there's a limit, you know, to how good those songs are and what they can do in my life. You know, there's, there's, come on, let's put it in perspective. Who can forgive you and give you a hope for a place in heaven and clean your life up and walk with you throughout life? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, come on, you know. And so that's who we should be excited about and worshipping and celebrating and singing about. And that's what we do. Hopefully, yeah? And the second thing that Calvin pointed out is if we're obeying this commandment is to demonstrate it by trust. The question here is, who do I put my faith in? Who do I count on? Am I counting on my spouse to meet all my needs? Am I expecting my enjoyment in work to be the main enjoyment that I have in life? Is it my finances that I'm relying on for a sense of security, you know, my hard-earned money, is that, is that, you know, am I like, is it Uncle Scrooge with the money bin, you know, sitting on the pile of money? Um, you know, is it, or, you know, are you, are you all this, the, what you're looking for in your soul, are you finding it or trying to find it in hobbies or football, sports, chocolate, TV, alcohol, that's a shocker. Bible doesn't say don't drink at all, but flip, if you've got a problem, then don't drink at all. Don't get drunk, and some people do. And, uh, and none of those things will hold you up when you really lean on them. They're not strong enough. And this is, you know, even a loving spouse is not built to carry you completely in the tough times. And that's why psychologists talk about codependency. You know, where people are pressuring their spouse. They've got too much weight on that person, on that relationship, because they're in need and they didn't get their needs met in God. And they meet someone and they're like, oh, you'll meet all my needs. I'm incomplete, but I need you. Oh. And the other person's like, oh, yeah, I'm desperate too for someone to help me out. And it's, it's not good for the relationship. So we trust in God, yeah? And no one, nothing comes before him. The third thing Calvin says is supplication or invocation. So you know, seeking out help when you need it. So this is, the question here would be, who do I call on? Who do I cry out to? 
if I'm facing a health crisis or I'm in financial strife or if I'm desperately sad or really lonely, who do I turn to? Who's your provider? Who's going to step in to help you out? Parents, friends, family, they can all help, but no other gods before God means knowing that he is our ultimate source of help. Even if he uses someone else in your life, again, you don't put the pressure on them. You pray and cry out to God and then someone comes and blesses you. Oh, thank you, Lord. You've sent them into my life. And you thank God for them and, and, uh, and that leads to the fourth one. And Calvin says, uh, thanksgiving, recognising God as the source of every blessing. So, you know, here for your spiritual checklist, the question would be, who do I give thanks to? Do we appreciate that God is behind all the good things in our lives? Because, you know, we should be thankful for skills, talents that we've all got, but God gave them to us in the first place, you know, and I'm grateful for, you know, my wife and friends and family, but of course God, God's just orchestrated things so that they're in my life. I haven't earned that or necessarily deserve that. And again, financial positions, people are like, oh, I'm so proud of my where I've arrived, my money, my business and all that. Yeah, but the Bible says, um, you know, that God gave you the ability to earn that money. So stop for a second and, you know, give credit where credit's due. And even when things are not really peachy and rosy, we're trained and taught through the scriptures to be thankful to God, not necessarily thankful for the problem, but thankful to God in the problem because he'll help you get through the problem. I preached about that recently, you know, being grateful uh, and, and getting through problems. And so that's quite a good little checklist uh, to ask yourself, who do I adore and praise? Who do I count on and trust? Who do I cry out to? And, and who do I thank? And of course, if the answer is consistently God, then we're on the right track to obeying the first commandment. Um, you're living out what it means to have him in first place, have no other God before him. In fact, those principles make for a pretty good pattern to follow in prayer. If you're struggling in your prayer life, well, just do that. Start with adoration and worship to God and then express your faith and trust in him and then move on to asking him. And there's nothing wrong with that because Jesus invites us to ask God and then finish with thanksgiving again. Expressing gratitude for God's hand on your life, counting your blessings, but also being glad that he's with you through the things that don't feel like such a blessing. So, as I said, the next couple of months, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. I trust you're going to enjoy this journey. You know, most people agree that the, the Ten Commandments are a good thing. I spoke to a guy recently and I was sharing my faith and witnessing to him. And I asked him, I said, oh, you know, are you a, a person of faith? He said, well, I grew up in the church, I haven't carried on, you know, I do my own thing, classic coasty Aussie, you know, church is the beach or whatever, I talk to God and the big fellow upstairs and you know, it's quite a liberty of grace that some people take in their relationship with God sometimes, I think, yeah, I, you know, you politely want to smack him across the head and say, God's not your mate, mate, you know, like he's God, but you have to work your way through that and he's bigger than me so smacking him across the head wouldn't have worked um but uh, but the guy said but what I do tell my kids and grandkids is follow the ten commandments and you'll do well so he hasn't been in church for a million years but he still thinks the ten commandments are good which is great but if you really think about the first one it's 
it's going to be more than just I'll do my thing, you know, because this is not about doing my thing. This is leading to a deep, respectful relationship with the living God. And so this is the one we've got to get right. All the others, as I mentioned, they hinge on this one. In fact, each of the other nine prescribe actions to follow. This one doesn't tell you what to do. It refers how you just position your life and your heart before God. It's all about relationship. And of course, the relationship that should be our top priority with the Lord. And so let's endeavour, shall we? To walk through life knowing that he alone is Lord, yeah, and to have no one or nothing else before him, between us and him. Amen? And as I said, I encourage you over the next couple of months to follow this journey and, uh, and prayerfully consider how they're flowing into your life. Come on, let's pray. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And we are appreciative of... Your word, including commandments, and we want to be smart enough, humble enough, brave enough to obey, to submit, to be children of God. And we, I pray that we would appreciate that's empowering. That's not oppressive. That's not archaic. That's not uh, squashing personalities or anything. It's releasing to know healthy boundaries in life and to know that our Father, perfect Father in heaven, has good things for us and good principles and commandments for us to follow. Help us in Jesus' name. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd lead us in these ways. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.